Perry is a successful businessman and entrepreneur and is the founder and president of Optimum Performance Technologies, LLC. Gary is a business consultant, business and personal coach, and a professional speaker and writer who has dedicated his life to helping businesses and individuals develop and implement plans to take their companies and their lives to new levels of performance and success. Gary's latest book is The Customer Conundrum, Nine Crucial Steps for Winning Customers and Outsmarting Your Competition. He's also the author of The Shepherd and the Princess, Seven Keys to Conquering the Goliaths in Your Life and Achieving Unusual Greatness, Timeless Lessons from the Trail Already Blazed. If you have a question or comment for Gary, please call in at 860-432-9735 or email him at questions at optex.com. You can also learn more about Gary by visiting his website, optex.com. And now, here's Gary Smith. Good morning, everyone. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Gary Smith Show here on WSDK, 1550 AM in Hartford. Uh, great to have you along for the ride, whether you're tuning in uh, to your radios or whether you're listening uh, over the Internet. Uh, we have a great show for you today, and I'm really looking forward to spending some time with you. So thank you for uh, for spending your Saturday morning with us. Uh, beautiful day out there this morning, just uh, absolutely gorgeous weather. Uh, actually got some cool around the house last night, so I was able to get a good night's sleep. So we're wide awake and, and ready to go. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a book uh, that I've been uh, that I've been reading, uh, and many of you know I uh, I'm a voracious reader. Uh, I read every day and uh, and try to study and keep up on the things that are uh, that are relative to both my faith and to the uh, to the field of work that I'm in. Uh, but this book uh, is a is written by a fellow named Bob Briner, uh, B R I N E R. I think that's uh, that's the right pronunciation. That's called the Management Methods of Jesus. And we're going to be talking about that. And I thought that was particularly appropriate in light of the show that we did last week on the Foundations of Life uh, Achievement uh, to really look at what, you know, what makes a good manager. And, and Jesus is a great example. And we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. But before we do that, uh, I got an email from, uh, from a friend of mine. And he happens to, uh, to work in the marketing field. And uh, he knows that, uh, that I do business consulting. And I just got the email from him this morning. And I answered him. And I told him that I, was, uh, that I thought that this was relevant and that I was going to actually talk about it on the show this morning. But here's, here's what he said. Quick question, but maybe not a quick answer. Do you believe that manufacturing companies should have a mission statement, particularly one that is prominently displayed on their websites, if so, why? As a buyer, why do I care? I just want something that's ultra high quality, done cheaply, and delivered on time. If you're asking me to take the time, effort, and to read uh, who you think you are and what you stand for, heck, isn't it all nonsense anyway? Why are many people high on mission statements? In a world where no one is able to keep their word, why does it matter? And, uh, you know, I, uh, I responded to him in the email and I said, you know, short answer to the question is, yes, I believe that manufacturing companies should have a mission statement. But the answer is is not simple. Um, and I, I think uh, for those of you who are involved, whether it's a manufacturing company or any kind of a business, I think there is value in having a mission statement and in communicating that mission statement to uh, to your audience, to your target audience, to your potential customers and clients. So you know, no, no matter what kind of a business you're in, 
But I, it's not the reason I think a mission statement is is important is not necessarily what it does for your potential customers. I think the reason that I think a mission statement is important is for what it does for you and for your employees. If you if you run an organization where you have employees. Because really what it does is if a mission statement is done appropriately, if it's done properly, in the process of putting together a mission statement, you really, like we talked about last week in the Foundations of Life Achievement, you really get down to the basics, to kind of the bedrock of who you are as a person and and why you're here and why you're in business and what you really want to try to accomplish and if you take that seriously, and I'm not talking about the type of thing where you just create a mission statement or a business plan. I've seen so many companies create business plans. They put them in a three-ring binder. They go up on the bookshelf, and they get dusted off once a year to see, you know, uh, you know, kind of almost like a dartboard. Did you know, We were throwing darts. Did we hit anything? But if you look at your mission statement and your business plan and things like that in a serious light, it's something that focuses you and and it, it puts you in a position where with every business decision you're making, whether you know you have a, a product that you're getting ready to ship out the back door and you're making a decision about the quality and what your customers really, really need, if you're looking back to that mission statement and basing all of the decisions that you make on answering the question, does this decision that I'm making, if I make the decision in this way, will it help me to achieve the mission of my business? Then it becomes that foundational, like I said, that bedrock uh, type of, of, of thing for you that really drives you. And if you take it seriously and you communicate it effectively to your employees, then your employees will take it seriously. And it really begins to shape who you are as a company and that ultimately will affect the quality and the cost and the service that you provide to your customers. And you know, in, it gives you the opportunity to tremendously delight your customers by keeping to your word, by doing the things that you need to do. And when you do that, ultimately sales will be there. Sales will go up and your business will grow because you're honoring your customer through the fulfillment of your mission. So that I think is the is the longer answer that yes companies should have a mission statement. I also believe that every individual should have a mission statement. I think that's critically important because you know who are we? You know as we live our lives we are a company of one. Or if you're married, you know, as a husband and wife and children, uh, I look at the you know, the family unit as kind of the smallest business unit in the world. And, uh, and so you need to have a mission statement and you need to communicate that and share that mission statement with, you know, with each other uh, in order to be able to support each other as your family, as your family grows. So I hope that answers the question, um, and I hope that Joe is listening this morning. If he's not, I'm going to be talking to him probably sometime after the show today, so I'll get to do this again. <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought that was particularly appropriate based on what we talked about last week. With that said, let's uh, jump into our, our topic for today, and I don't know how far we're going to get. Uh, this book is a small book. Uh, it's only probably uh, probably about 100 pages long, uh, but it hits on um, like 50 different uh, topics related to the management methods of Jesus, and, and I may do, uh, in fact, we probably what we will do is do this show in two segments. We'll do a part one today and part two uh, next week, uh, so you'll be able to, uh, to tune in next week and, and hear some more. Uh, but as I said, it's a book called The Management Methods with Jesus. 
Ancient Wisdom for Modern Business by Bob Briner. Uh, I do not know. This book is not is no longer in print. Uh, I was able to, uh, through a friend of mine, grab a copy of it. He actually uh, he actually gave me a copy, uh, and I've been really blessed by it. So I want to talk uh, through some of the things today, and we'll see uh, we'll see how far we get in the hour that we have. If you do have any questions or you want to generate some discussion about it, feel free to call in. Uh, to 860-432-9735, or email to uh, questions at optex.com. I've got uh, the computer up here, so I'm watching email. If you have any questions, feel free to send them in, and I'll be happy to to answer them or talk with you, whatever you'd like to do. But uh, let's get right to it. In the introduction to his book, uh, here's what Bob Reiner says. He says, forget Attila the Hun. Where is his management legacy? You can't find it. The all-time greatest management entrepreneur is Jesus Christ. Just look at what he accomplished. By any measurement standard, the empirical evidence bears witness that the organization founded by Jesus is the most successful of all time. Longevity, 2,000 years and counting. Wealth, beyond calculation. Numbers, beyond counting. Loyalty of adherence, many give their lives for it. Distribution, worldwide, in every country. Diversification, successfully integrated into all kinds of enterprises. Therefore, Jesus Christ reigns supreme as the greatest manager the world has ever known. Attila the Hun, a piker. If you really want to succeed, study, learn, and apply the management principles of Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong. None of this is to say that Jesus is some 20th century management guru replete with formula, slogans, and seminars for revolutionizing business. For one thing, he is so much more than that. Too many people have already pressed Jesus into too many molds, trying to make him conform to their idea or ideal. But this is what impresses me and what I hope will impact you. Take the life and teaching of Jesus out of any mystical or spiritual context and you will see that it is packed full of wisdom, highly relevant to my world and yours, the world of business. See what you think. So that's how he starts off the book. And I think he's absolutely right. When you look at how Jesus uh, approached his ministry and realize that Jesus only lived on this earth for 33 years, and he was only active in ministry for three years of those 33 years. And look at what he accomplished in three years. He set in motion uh, um, an organization, if you will, that has continued, uh, as as Bob said, you know, for over two thousand years, it has uh, has reached every country in the world, uh, and has you know literally uh, over the over the uh, the centuries, uh, over the the two thousand years since Jesus died, uh, has uh, you know has touched the lives of, if, if not billions, at least in the hundreds of millions of, of people. So very, very successful in his approach. So let's jump in and let's talk about some of the things that, uh, that Jesus did as far as his overall management approach that I think are particularly uh, valuable and applicable to us today. The first thing is to have a plan because a plan puts you in charge of your energies and activities. Uh, you know, it's amazing uh, to me how few companies have a master plan by which they chart their course and measure their progress. And even fewer individuals uh, fall into that uh, category. And I think that is a, a fundamental mistake uh, for all of us. Jesus had a plan, 
And he adhered to that plan, and that was a major reason for his success. He knew where he was going, and he went there. Nothing got in his way. Nothing deterred him. Nothing sidetracked him. And knowing that the culmination of his plan had to be accomplished in Jerusalem, and even knowing that the ultimate sacrifice would be required of him there, um, in Isaiah 57, it says he set his face like flint for Jerusalem. So Jesus was resolute. Uh, Whatever the consequences, he was going to carry out his plan. So when we look at that, a a fundamental principle of management, uh, both for individuals and organizations, is to have a plan to which you're deeply committed and then to to set out with a determination to accomplish that plan. Without a plan, you got nothing. You've got nowhere to go because there's no place for you to be able to uh, direct your efforts, to direct your energies uh, toward the things that you're doing. You know, and, and as I said at the beginning, a plan puts you in charge. Uh, and when you're in charge, you're proactive, you're not reactive, you're not kind of floating along, um, you know, just kind of taking life as it comes at you. You're deliberately pointing yourself in a, in a direction. And we talked about that, that last week in our Foundations of Life Achievement, you know, about figuring out what it is that you want. Why are you here? What's your purpose? What is it that you want to accomplish? And we talked about things like you know, vision boards and, uh, and setting goals and things like that to be able to really focus yourself and point yourself in the right direction so that just like Jesus, you don't get deterred, you don't get sidetracked, you stay focused and you stay moving in the right direction. Um, once Jesus had a plan, the other thing that jumps out at me is the fact that he was prepared. Uh, and you, you look at it, as I said earlier, he was on this earth for 33 years, but he was only actively involved in ministry for three of those 33 years. And so he spent the first 30 years of his life um, you know, working in the carpenter shop, going to the synagogue, studying at the feet of, uh, of people, being in communion with his father in order to prepare himself for the three years of, of intense ministry that he did at the end of his life. And the thing I think that's important is to realize that inadequate preparation produces inadequate results. Um, You know, in a cosmic sense, Jesus' preparation was without a beginning. It was forever because he was with God before he ever came to this earth. You know, but in an earthly sense, he prepared for 30 years and laid his plan, had his plan all laid out, ready to go uh, before uh, before he started to execute it. You know, and... I don't know about you, but those of you who are in business, I have rarely felt overprepared for anything. Um, you know, if, if anything, I find myself the other way, uh, saying, gee, I, I should have studied for that a little bit more, or maybe I should have read some other material. And I think that's one of the things that has driven me to be a lifelong learner. I always want to be able to find new people out there who are the best and brightest at what they do and continually feed myself uh, with information. Uh, and does that mean I take everything that they give me? No. Uh, I believe in what, uh, in what Tony Robbins says, and that is, you know, hey, you know, you're not going to agree with everything that I do or everything that I say, but go through the material and you know, take what it is that you can use and forget the rest of it. And my attitude is, is you know, well, you know, as an example, if I attend a seminar, you know, I might spend several hundred dollars to attend a seminar, but coming out of that seminar, if I've learned one thing, just one thing that I can take and put to work in my life or in my business, then there's a return there for me. Uh, I don't necessarily have to agree with everybody, 
and uh, you know, in fact, uh, it's interesting. You know, there's, there's, I don't think there's anybody that I agree a hundred percent with in the in the world. There's a lot of people who come close, um, but I've always made the comment to people that if you ever see two people in life who agree on absolutely everything, one of you is unnecessary. Um, you know, it's it's a waste of time. So be prepared. You know, it's really, really, uh, really critical. Um, the other thing is, is that when you when you're building a business, uh, a business that's going to have employees of one kind or another, uh, whether you're uh, you know in a manufacturing company, say, and you're hiring employees to work with you, uh, or maybe you're in a real estate business and you're in effect you know in effect a direct sales organization, and you're going to recruit um, you know people to be uh, sales representatives you know under you, but still potentially at least partially independent contractors. Um, you have to choose your closest associates, and you have to allow those people who are working for you to make those choices themselves. Um, one of the biggest mistakes corporate boards and other hiring entities make is to select a leader and then saddle him or her with a staff that's not of his choosing. It really doesn't matter how good the staff is. If the leader didn't choose them and if they didn't choose him, the odds for failure are enormous. And I've done that in the past uh, when I was working in corporate America. Oftentimes, if I was interviewing for a position, one of the things that I would do is once I kind of passed muster with the senior management team of the company, I would say, I'd really like to come back for another interview. And I want to have the opportunity to interview those individuals who are going to be working directly with me. Um, not only because I want to get to know them, I want to find out who they are, what their strengths are, uh, what their weaknesses are, but I want to I want to give them the opportunity to interview me uh, and understand who I am and where I'm coming from, so we can see, uh, you know, both going both ways. Is there a synergy here? Can we indeed work together? Are there any organizational changes uh, that need to be made, or at least organizational changes that need to be considered? And I found in doing so that uh, that I've I've stacked the deck in a way that has been able to help me be more successful because I find out who you know who I can relate to on what levels and then I know pretty much after that interview you know who um, you know who I'm going to have to take some time with um, you know whether it's you know just learning to communicate with that individual and fi- figuring out what it is that motivates them you know, but it gives me at least a foundation to be able to sit back and and put my plan together to say, here's the people I'm going to be working with. How do I do that most effectively and in a way that benefits them, in a way that benefits me, and, and ultimately in a way that benefits the business and the customers that we're, that we're trying to serve. And kind of along, uh, along the lines of that, uh, an, another uh, key to Jesus' success is filling, when you fill a key spot, uh, pull out all the stops. I have seen uh, so many companies over the years uh, get themselves in a situation where they find a, per, a, posi- a person who is absolutely perfect for the position that they have. You know, uh, the person has the knowledge that they're looking for. They have the experience. They're the right kind of personality uh, fit for the organization. And just because there's a little bit of a discrepancy, say, in the in the comp plan or the salary that the individual is looking for, uh, the company is very lockstep in saying, you know, the range of pay for this job is from X to Y, and this individual wants Y plus ten or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. We're not going to go there. We just can't do that. 
Um, don't cut your nose off to spite your face. You know, uh, go after the people you really want. Be willing to pay a little bit more if you need to to get the talent that you really need because if you're really legitimately getting the right person in the organization, uh, that person is going to pay back that additional investment very, very quickly. Uh, so take the time to do that. And that's what, you know, what Jesus did. Um, you know, look at the people that Jesus recruited and how he focused on, on them and, you know, and how he went about approaching them. Uh, it's really, really powerful uh, the way he did things. So when you're filling a key spot, pull out all the stops and do it the right way. So that's a, first, a few things for us to think about. We're going to uh, take a quick break here. Again, if you have any questions or anything, please give us a call, 860-432-9735, uh, or email your questions to questions at optex.com. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, so don't touch that radio dial. My organization asked me to find a speaker for one of our major events. I didn't know where to turn until a friend recommended that I contact Gary Smith. Gary was easy to work with and affordable. He designed and delivered an amazing program that met all of our needs. This is Gary Smith. If you're looking for a speaker who will entertain, educate, and inform your audience, call me at 203-599-1467 to discuss your specific requirements. I speak on a wide range of business, personal development, and spiritual topics, and I'll create a program that is guaranteed to please. Again, I'm Gary Smith, and I look forward to your call, 203-599-1467. I'm Al Roker, and here's what's happening in your neck of the woods. Americans are voting responsibly. They know that on average, two people lose their lives and nine are injured in recreational boating accidents every day. So they're wearing their life jackets, taking safe boating courses, leaving the alcohol on the dock, and of course, always checking the weather. You can learn more at www.uscgboating.org. The U.S. Coast Guard and I remind you, please boat responsibly. Partly cloudy this morning across the Connecticut Valley with a chance of afternoon showers or thunderstorms. The high today, 82. Partly cloudy tonight, showers and thunderstorms possible. The low, 65. Becoming mostly cloudy tomorrow with a better chance of rain. The high, 81. Partly cloudy Monday with a high in the low, 80s. I'm Dave Reno with your WSDK weather update. All right, welcome back to the Gary Smith Show here on WSDK, 1550 AM in Hartford. Great to have you along for the ride today. And uh, Dave Reno happens to be in studio today, and I was just teasing him from the weather forecast, saying, I don't want any more rain. Uh, I'd actually like to get home and be able to uh, to mow my lawn now that we've had enough moisture that the grass is actually starting to grow again. Anyway, today we're talking about The Management method, Methods of Jesus, a book by a fellow named Bob Briner uh, that I've been reading and found very, very valuable in my business. So I'm trying to uh, go through, and uh, this is going to be a two-part show, and we're going to talk about the, the book and, and what we can learn uh, from Jesus as, uh, as it applies to uh, leadership, and not only in our businesses, but I think there's a tremendous amount of stuff that we do in business that spills over into our personal lives. Um, so continuing, um, you know, another, another key factor of Jesus' success is being a teacher. Um, you know, so I guess I would say, you know, uh, be like Jesus, be a teacher, be a success. And by a teacher, I do not mean a lecturer. Uh, that's one of the things that I have to watch is that I very easily sometimes can get up on my soapbox and preach at people uh, rather, than, uh, rather than being a teacher. 
And to me, being a teacher means more by more about leading by example uh, and in showing people rather than saying, well, you need to do this, this and this. It's kind of come alongside of me and watch me as I do this, this and this uh, and ask questions and let's have a dialogue about this, you know, so that the next time you can do it uh, and you can begin practicing it and things like that, you know, and it's it's really, I think, very, very important um, you know, and when you look at, you know, legendary corporate giants, people like Henry Ford and Tom Watson, um, you know, they've been very, very persistent and motivational teachers, uh, you know, and who knows, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they got their, uh, their inspiration from Jesus. Um, but Jesus was often called rabbi, which means teacher. And he taught constantly. If you read through the New Testament, everywhere Jesus went, he was, you know, he wasn't preaching; he was teaching, uh, and and he used those as foundational examples. You know, and you know, great corporate leaders, uh, you know, they don't hide in their executive suites, you know, plotting out strategies for what they're going to do. They find ways, uh, you know, to teach, to uh, to work with people in their organizations. Um, one of my favorite stories is back in the early 1900s when uh, Charles Schwab had taken over uh, the U.S. Steel Company. And uh, one day he was uh, happened to be walking out on the floor, uh, the manufacturing floor, and he was out on the manufacturing floor all the time. Uh, and I, I learned that lesson. And when I was in manufacturing, that's what I did. I spent more time on the floor than I did in my office most of the time. Um, but he was on the floor one day. And he was seeking to try to motivate people. And he uh, happened to be in a portion of the building where they were actually pouring uh, steel and so he went to the, one of the employees and said, uh, you know, how many, uh, how many melts, how many heats did you do today? And the fellow said, three. And uh, Schwab looked around, found a chalkboard and a big piece of chalk and went out on the middle of a, of a blank space on the floor and wrote a huge three on the floor. Didn't say anything to anybody, just wrote a three on the floor and walked away. And uh, when the second shift people came in, one of the employees asked another guy and said, what, uh, what's the three on the floor all about? And he said, I don't know. He said, you know, when the, when the boss came out, he asked how many heats we had done today, and I said three, and so he grabbed a piece of chalk and wrote this big three on the floor. Well, the next morning when Schwab came to work, uh, he walked out on the floor again, and where the three was, there was a line drawn through the three, and there was a five beside it. And so just by doing that simple thing, by getting out there, by engaging with the employees, uh, he had kind of silently set an expectation of we need to improve. And those guys grabbed onto it and they started working with it. So take the time to teach, um, you know, and realize that uh, that keeping information to yourself never helps anybody. Um, I, uh, I have interesting discussions with owners of companies when it comes to uh, recommendations that I sometimes make about being open book uh, with their employees. You know, and I recommend to companies that they have uh, employee meetings once a month. And in those employee meetings that they, they talk about what's going on in the business. They talk about how profitable they are. Uh, or where they're struggling and things, you know, new efforts that the company is making, new customers that the company is courting, what's research and development working on, you know, those sorts of things. And and not only from the standpoint of sharing information, but helping to teach the company about what's, in, you know, uh, teach people and the employees of the company what's important about the business and to get them engaged and saying, as an employee, here's how you can help. 
Uh, and it's amazing, you know, uh, people will jump on board. And sometimes in sharing that information, people will come to you after a meeting and say, you know what, I have some expertise in this area, maybe I can help. And, you know, maybe it gives them an opportunity to grow with the business, or at the very least, they can become sort of an internal consultant to another department to, to help them work on a particular problem or a particular process. So it's learning to teach and through teaching, utilizing the strengths of other people. Uh, another key thing, and it kind of goes hand in hand with teaching because it deals with communication, and that is practice private communication. Um, you know, when Jesus wanted to make absolutely sure that he was making his point, he did it one-on-one. And I think that's really, really important. Uh, one, of the, one of the mantras that I have maintained over the years is praise publicly, criticize privately. Uh, I will never, ever, 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 can't say that enough times, uh, but I will never uh, chastise an employee in front of their fellow employees. Just doesn't work. Uh, it, you know, no matter how right I may be, uh, no matter how upset I may be at the time, I will never ever, you know, chew out an employee in front of uh, of his or her uh, fellow employees. I'll always take that individual aside. Uh, and the other thing, along with you know the private communication, is there is no yelling, there is no screaming, there is no pounding of fists on tables or anything like that. It's a quiet, calm conversation, saying. Listen, Charlie, this is, you know, you and I have an issue that we have to deal with here. This is what I'm seeing. You know, it's, you know, it may be that this is not acceptable behavior. You know, it's may, may be, I think you made a bad decision here. Can you please explain to me how you arrived at that being the right conclusion? How do we work together uh, to make sure that this problem gets resolved? And so really what I'm trying to do is express the seriousness of the situation but not hang the employee out there by himself, uh, rather to try and get around the, the side of the table where he is and, you know, and say, how do we work together? You know, I want you to be part of this team. You, know, you bring a lot to the table here. Let's figure out how we get past this. So that private communication is, is really important. Uh, other thing that you have to do is to establish authority. And, I, and along with that, I would say not only establish authority, but establish expectations. Um, everybody needs to understand Jesus did not run a democratic organization. You know, not once did he call on his disciples and say, all those in favor? He knew where he was going, uh, and everybody knew that he was in, in charge. And based on his authorities on the scripture and on the commission he had from God, you know, and the only person that he was submitting himself to was God, his father. And, you know, in Luke uh, chapter 22, he said, you know, not my will, but yours. Um, So he was he was submitting himself to the father. But for those who were working with him, his disciples, he knew what he wanted. He had established his his authority, Um, you know, and. Really, it's you know for me, it's a matter. I think in the in the critical part of the authority, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus ever slammed his hand down on the table and said, "Guys, I'm the boss, and you're going to do it my way." People naturally gravitated toward his leadership style because he was a leader; he was not a manager. Uh, and you know, Dave Ramsey, who I think is just a fabulous business leader, uh, in his book Entree Leadership, talks about uh, positional versus persuasional leadership. And positional leadership or positional authority is, uh, you know, occurs when 
a manager takes an attitude of you need to do what I tell you to do because I'm your boss, I'm higher on the food chain than you are, and so by virtue of my position in the organization, you will do as you're told. Whereas a leader um, takes a persuasional approach. It's catch the vision of what it is that we're trying to accomplish here, and here's where I need your help, and people buy into and will follow that leader. You know, Jesus was a very persuasional leader. He was a very charismatic person, and he was able to communicate his message in a way um, that not only got people to follow his lead, but in so doing, uh, they accepted his leadership. They saw him as a leader. So he never had to assert himself as a leader. People saw him as that leader. The other thing that I think is important is to establish expectations early on in the game. Um, I, uh, I had been coaching a fellow a few months ago, and he was at a position in his organization. He was uh, an insurance salesman and very, very successful, one of the top insurance salesmen in his company. And the company had been evidently thinking about ways to be able to improve um, the income situation for individuals like him who had sort of topped out uh, in the in the compensation plan. And so what they did was they began to look at almost a network marketing approach to their insurance business. And what they were doing was they said, well, in addition to maintaining and working on your current book of business, if you will go out and help us to recruit two or three or four salespeople and mentor them in the process, when they reach a certain level of sales, then you will get uh, an override on what they do. And uh, he came to me and he said, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about that because he said, my big concern is that I'm going to get in and I'm going to spend a lot of time and a lot of effort recruiting and trying to train people only to find myself in a position where, um, you know, these folks are going to wash out you know, they're not going to be successful at what they do. And then I've, you know, invested a lot of time when I could have been out selling. Uh, I've been investing a lot of time in them. and I'm not going to have anything to show for it. And I essentially have to start all over again. And I, I understand where he was coming from. And, and I told him, I said, I think what you need to do is establish your expectations early on. I said, you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, I think that you need to be very clear with your expectations. And that is that if you're going to come on board and you're going to work with me, then here's what I'm going to expect you to do. Here's the skills that you need to develop, and I will work with you in the development of those skills. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, here's the minimum standard of performance that's acceptable. Here's where I would prefer you to be. Here's where I'm going to try to set the bar as a challenge for you to accomplish and we have 90 days to get from the start to that goal. And if in 90 days you're not there, then we're going to part company and I'm going to have to go look for somebody else. And you know, does that guarantee success? No, it doesn't. But at least it sets the expectation so that if the 90 days comes up and the individual hasn't performed at that level, there's no question when, you know, when it's time to part company, there's no question that the expectation was put out there and clearly understood. Yeah, and, and I think when you do communicate expectations clearly and then you follow it through with encouragement and, and teaching, like we were talking about, it raises the possibility geometrically for people to be able to succeed and, and meet the expectations that you've put out there. Uh, and it also gives you a barometer. It gives you something to measure against and say, okay, we're 30 days into the 90-day process. How is that individual coming along? How am I going to work with him 
If he's ahead of the curve, that's great. I'll continue to encourage him. If he's a little bit behind, how do we kind of amp things up? And and what do I need to do in communication and ongoing teaching with him to get him where he needs to be? So those things are are really uh, valuable as far as establishing that authority and then uh, and then setting the expectations. Um, the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with all all of that is insisting on absolutes. Um, I think that we live in a society that is very relative today. And that is, you know, well, what's good for you may not be good for me, but as long as what's good for me isn't interfering with what's good for you, it really doesn't matter. And I think that in life and in business, there are absolutes that we have to adhere to. There are absolutes that we have to insist upon. And, and if we don't, uh, then we're, we get ourselves on that slippery slope of compromise and, you know, things in business for me uh, is, you know, number one, never, ever lie to your boss. Just don't do it. You know, number two, never lie to a customer. Honesty with your customers is the, you know, is the absolute best thing that you can do. Um, I worked for one company a number of years ago and got a, a praise letter from one of my customers and uh, and we were in a difficult situation with that customer. We were having quality problems with a particular product. But when the customer called in and talked to me, I always told them exactly what was going on. I told them the truth of what was happening. And the comment that they made, the fellow made in the letter, is that every time I call in and talk to Gary, I don't always like what I hear, but I know what I hear I can take to the bank. And that to me is important because that establishes my personal integrity. It establishes the integrity of my business. And it gives me the ability to be able to work with that customer. And that's why we were able to maintain the relationship with that customer. And we got past the quality issues and and actually wound up with a very, very happy, delighted customer. And they were willing to hang in there with us because we were being honest with them. So things like that you know, I think are really, really important. You know, always be upfront in your communications. Have that personal honesty and integrity. Uh, Treat people like you want to be treated. Don't try to pull the wool over their eyes. And yeah, there's some times where you're going to have difficult conversations. There are going to be times when people are going to be upset with you. Learn to take that as part of business. That's part of the reason that you're in business. You have to be willing to deal with those difficult issues. Uh, But things like honesty and integrity uh, are are just such a critical portion. I just can't talk enough about the importance of, of those sorts of things, about caring for other people, about doing things that are right. Don't do the things that are convenient. Do the things that are right. Go above and beyond. Have an absolute that says we go above and beyond for our customers. And one of the goals that I've always set is I always try to under-promise and over-deliver. Uh, you know, give people more than what they ask for. Give them more than what they pay for because it delights them and it keeps them coming back and it builds that uh, that loyalty. But the key to it is, is don't do it because that's what you expect. Do it because it's the right thing to do. With that, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into, uh, you know, things like watching your timing and how do you go about timing things in communication and that sort of thing. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with segment three. I've owned this company for a long time. I love what I do, but things keep getting more and more challenging. Taxes, the economy, global competition, they're coming together in a way that may put me out of business if I don't find a better, more cost-effective way of doing things. You want a better future for you and your loved ones. 
You feel that you have what it takes, but you just don't know where to start. I can help. My name is Gary Smith. I come alongside you to help you design a plan for your amazing future. Then I mentor you through the implementation process until you're well on your way to achieving your goals. Don't wait another second. Call me now at 203-599-1467 or email me at gary at for a free, no-obligation consultation. This is Life Changing Radio's Bill Blount. Join me on our website and Facebook pages as I post short videos all week on my recent trip to Alaska. You'll see Hatcher Pass and an old gold mine, and you'll see me paying for gold, then see what I got. Plus an unusual coffee shop and a grocery store. So watch now and for the next few days to see a new video. Find it on LifeChangingRadio.com and on Life Changing Radio's Facebook page. A partly cloudy day ahead across the Connecticut Valley with a slight chance of afternoon showers and thunderstorms. Today's high 82. Partly cloudy tonight with showers and thunderstorms possible, the low dropping to 65. Turning mostly cloudy tomorrow, showers and thunderstorms possible, the high 81. Partly cloudy Monday with a high in the low 80s. I'm Dave Reno with your WSDK weather update. Okay, welcome back to the Gary Smith Show here on 1550 AM WSDK. Great to have you along today. Hope you're enjoying the show as we're talking about the management methods of Jesus. Um, As I alluded to just before the the break, we're going to talk about watch your timing. Uh, Timing in business is really, really critical. And and Jesus was a master of timing in his ministry. Uh, You know, give you a couple of examples there. I mean, look at uh, the first public miracle that Jesus uh, did happened at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and it gave Jesus an opportunity to you know, set his seal of approval on marriage and em- emphasize the importance of marriage. And then later on in his ministry, you know, when we look at his triumphal entry into Jerusalem that was followed by uh, you know, his being uh, arrested and crucified, well, what, what time did that happen? It happened during the Passover celebration. And that was, in my mind, that was one of the most brilliant played strategies of all time. You know, because everybody was in Jerusalem, a huge part of the Jewish community from around uh, the, you know, the Jewish world at that time were, you know, were there. And so he had the greatest amount of impact. And, and looking at business, timing should always be a consideration in, in our businesses. You know, major announcements should be timed for maximum impact. You know, new products uh, should be introduced at the most opportune time. And, and look at things. I mean, I think about kids' toys and things like that. You know, do you ever hear of new toys being introduced in like January, February, March of the year? No. All of the new toy releases and all of the advertising dollars that are poured into the marketplace start happening in June, July, August in anticipation of the upcoming Christmas sales. Now, so looking at the timing, where is that window of marketing opportunity where you can get your message out there, where you can get the biggest bang for your buck? Uh, you know, the timing is just so, so critical. Uh, and that's where you really need to understand your customers. You need to understand your markets. You know, and sometimes it's not a matter of timing from the viewpoint of what time in the calendar year is it related to when are the products going to be selling in the marketplace. But it's also, I think, being a student of your competition. 
and clearly understanding, you know, uh, what is your competition working on? When are they going to be releasing new products into the marketplace? You know, do they have a new piece of technology that they're going to be introducing? And do you maybe have something that's even a little bit better than theirs? But if you don't get to market with your idea before they do, uh, then even though your mousetrap may be better, faster, cheaper, smarter, whatever, you may lose some of the market impact because they've gotten out there ahead of you and they've already gotten somebody else's attention. Um, and it's also be being focused, I think, you know, uh, on when you when you think about timing, I think it's really, really important to think about understanding the paradigm shifts that are occurring in your marketplace. I mean, I stop and think about things like, um, as an example, think about uh, the record industry. You know, when I was a kid, and some of you who are, you know, long, young millennial entrepreneurs or business owners, you know, won't relate to this because you weren't born back then. But when I was a kid, I remember 78 RPM records. I remember 33 and a third records. Well, how many stores do you go into today where you can still buy those things, where you can still buy the vinyl? Yeah, there's a few of them if you want to go to places like New York City or you can find them on eBay. But, you know, but the vinyl manufacturing industry today is gone. It's history because there was a fundamental paradigm shift that took place uh, that moved uh, from there to eight-track tapes and from eight-track tapes to cassettes and from cassettes to CDs and then from CDs to digital music. And so whole faces of industries change that way. Uh, One of the examples that I use that I think is just so incredibly powerful is the watch industry. Back in the 1970s, if I asked any person in business who – uh, what nation on the face of the earth uh, was the largest uh, or owned the largest percentage of the world's watch market? It was Switzerland. You know, Swiss, the Swiss owned the watch market for many, many years. But if you fast forward from the 1970s to the 1990s and ask that same question, the, there was a fundamental shift that had taken place uh, where the Japanese had taken over the watch market. And the Japanese and the Chinese now own that watch market till today. To today, uh, and the interesting part of that is, is that yes, there was a fundamental paradigm shift, but the paradigm shift that occurred was a transition from the mechanical watch to the electronic watch. You know, the mechanical watch was what the Swiss were involved in making, and they had literally thousands of people involved in the watchmaking industry. Uh, you know, manufacturing all the little gears and shafts and springs and things like that that go into uh, go into mechanical watches, and the Japanese had the electronic watch, and it was more accurate, it was more colorful, uh, and it was a brand new kind of gadget gimmick, if you will, that that people really caught on to. The thing that most people don't realize, though, is that the electronic watch was invented by the Swiss. They actually invented the electronic movement. And they had it on a display on display at one of the world watch shows. And a little company called Seiko came along and said, well, if you guys aren't going to use that technology, we'll use it. And as a result of that, there were thousands upon thousands of Swiss watchmakers that were laid off from their jobs uh, as the Japanese took over the market. Now, the Swiss have gone back in recent years and they've reinvented themselves. And now they're the high-end watch manufacturers where, you know, if you happen to be the type of person who can, who can afford a $150,000 watch, you can go and buy a Patek Philippe or something like that. Uh, you know, but those kind of fundamental paradigm shifts are really important. 
another thing is is that when you have issues in your organization, uh, you know, corruption, dishonesty, things like that, be willing to handle that right up front. Uh, when there is a you know clear, irrefutable evidence that you've got anything like that going on, hit it hit it hard and take care of the problem right away. And that's one of the things I think, uh, and I don't want to politicize this conversation, but that's one of the things that I think is a real problem in uh, in our political world today is that you've got so many people who are spending tremendous amounts of time trying to cover things up instead of just coming clean. Uh, and I think of, you know, the Hillary email scandal as as one of those, you know, where she had a private server uh, that was outside of government regulation, and then there was the whole question about were there classified documents on the server or not, you know, and and those sorts of things, and just kind of you know her the way she has handled the whole thing, I think potentially can be very damaging to her in her race for president. Where is whereas if she had just come out front and said, you know what, guys, I screwed up. You know, I, I should never have done it. I was outside of government regulations to do it. You know, I think that the whole thing would have fared a lot better for her and she would have been in a situation where it would have worked a lot better. So when you see those sorts of things, you know, again, and it gets back to having, you know, having those absolutes in your business. When you get to that point, you know, anything that goes wrong, step up and deal with it and have a zero tolerance type of attitude that we don't know as a company. We are not going to behave this way. We are not going to conduct ourselves this way. We're going to be completely above board with everything that we do. If you take that kind of attitude, I think it pays uh, pays tremendous benefits. And along with that, uh, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand. Is don't sugarcoat things. Jesus never sugarcoated anything with you know, with people. When they ask a question, uh, he always told them the truth. He always gave truthful responses, and he always taught truthfully. So I think it's upon us to let our associates know exactly what's going on. You know, what kind of behavior is going to be tolerated? What kind of behavior is not going to be tolerated? You know, and and be up front with those types of things and do it in a loving, caring way. I mean, I really do adhere to the to the process of communicating the truth in love, but it needs to be the truth nonetheless. And it, you know, and sometimes it needs to be, you know, the the raw, unvarnished truth. So we really gotta get out there and we've gotta gotta hit things hard. Uh, and letting people know exactly what's going on. And the more people know about how we feel, the more people know of what the expectations are, the more people are we communicate with people and get buy-in from them, uh, the greater loyalty we build in the organization, the greater employee engagement we have, and the more engaged our employees are, the more productive they're going to be, the better they're going or more creative they're going to be as far as offering uh, information that will help us grow our businesses uh, and the more loyal they'll be from the standpoint that we won't giving, be giving them any reasons to go to work anywhere else because they, you know, they enjoy coming to work. And that's the neat thing. When you have a group of employees who are so fully engaged in what's going on in the business, someone across the street can come and say, you know what? Um, you know, we'll pay you $5 an hour more. And it's like, it's not worth it. Uh, and that's, you know, companies, I think, tend to look at things from the lens or through the lens of, of finances and what's financially important. And yet they don't realize that for most employees, money is not that important. It's, it's far down on the list, you know, being cared for by the management, belonging to an organization, being an, uh, given an opportunity to make a worthwhile contribution, to grow with the business, to learn new things. You know, those things are the things that are really important to employees. 
And so if we can focus on meeting those needs and focus the employees on serving our customers, serving our customers better than anyone else with high-quality products and services and constantly be looking for ways and, and soliciting input from them on how we can do better. Uh, those are the types of things that not only build successful businesses, but they build happy businesses that have engaged employees and where people can have a, a really, really neat time. So that's the end of part one on the management methods of Jesus. We're going to uh, pick up next week with part two and cover some more things that I think are really, really important. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Go ahead and have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, you know, despite the fact that Dave was talking about rain and stuff like that, uh, you know, even if it rains, be thankful for the rain. Uh, the you know, the grass needs it, and uh, maybe it'll give you an opportunity to stay inside and uh, and just uh, relax and enjoy uh, your families. So anyway, have a great rest of the weekend. God bless you all, and live your life on purpose. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please mark your calendars and be sure to join us next Saturday at 11 a.m. for another edition of The Gary Smith Show. And remember, there are a number of resources available to assist you at Gary's website, optex.com. Until next week, may God richly bless you. organization asked me to find a speaker for one of our major events. I didn't know where to turn until a friend recommended that I contact Gary Smith. Gary was easy to work with and affordable. He designed and delivered an amazing program that met all of our needs. This is Gary Smith. If you're looking for a speaker who will entertain, educate, and inform your audience, call me at 203-599-1467 to discuss your specific requirements. I speak on a wide range of business, personal development, and spiritual topics, and I'll create a program that is guaranteed to please. Again, I'm Gary Smith, and I look forward to your call, 203-599-1467. The word is spreading. More and more people are becoming Ambit Energy Consultants. I overheard a friend of mine.